We love the sound of kids in our midst. We're so thankful that many of you have chosen to visit with us this morning and bring your children. And we're looking forward to the next few minutes of just meditating again upon God's word and upon what God has said in his word. I just want to put you at ease. If you have children here and they're crying or fussy, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's all right. We're all just people, right? All of us people, flawed people. And so we can, we can endure and be okay. And we love the sound of the kids. And what a day to celebrate children. The coming, the day celebrating or the coming of our Savior as a child, as a baby, hearing those cries. What a wonderful time to be together this morning. As God's people, as God's people, it is important for us to understand that we are a people shaped around promises, shaped by the promises revealed in God's word and anchored in the very character of our God. But this reality that we are a people shaped by promises creates in us another identifying mark for God's people. This is the identifying mark of waiting. God's people are a people constantly in waiting because we are shaped by promises found in God's word we are also shaped and identified by our waiting consider the entire history of God's people God's people throughout the ages have been given promises but then they had to wait for those promises indeed Many of them, most of them found in Scripture, God's people and their stories, they never actually realized the promises given to them by God. Abraham, the father of Israel, was promised a nation. He was promised a people. He was promised blessing. He was promised a land. Abraham never saw those promises. In fact, the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus happened over 2,000 years after Abraham had been promised. Walk through the Old Testament. It's full of people being promised all sorts of things, and yet they are waiting constantly, continually waiting. And this posture of waiting for God's people, this posture of being in constant, continual waiting does not agree, does not harmonize well with the culture that we live in. We, as God's people, are called to wait. And yet our culture, the culture that we live in, emphasizes fulfillment, constant fulfillment, instantaneous fulfillment, deserved fulfillment. If you aren't being fulfilled in your career, get out. Go find something more fulfilling. If your marriage isn't fulfilling, get out. Go find somebody to fulfill you. In fact, the entire system of buying on credit 
which some of us have done over the last few days. This entire system is built on instantaneous fulfillment. Getting what we want, what we believe we deserve immediately. Everything in our culture is built this way. And so we are a people torn between two competing cultures. As God's people, we wait for God's promises. But living in the society in which we live, we are told that we deserve to have what we want now. These two don't go together very well. Sadly, Christ's people are impacted, infected with our current culture. And so, I believe it's important for us, whenever we have the opportunity, to cultivate endurance, to cultivate patience. As God's people, we ought to seek opportunities to cultivate waiting. Thus, the importance, I believe, of Advent. Advent. Are you familiar with the term Advent? I've been surprised as we've talked about it at Trinity Church over the last couple of months, how many of us are unfamiliar with the term and the concept of Advent. Advent is from the Latin word for coming. And it does not imply looking back on Christ's coming. I think this is a misconception. Advent is not about looking back on Christ's coming, but looking forward to Christ's coming. Therefore, it's not intended, Advent is not, the season of Advent is not intended as a celebration. It's not intended to be a celebration. That's a new thought for some of us. Advent Instead, is meant to be a period, a season of waiting, of anticipation, of longing, of praying, of hoping, and even of mourning. It's about waiting. December, December, have you noticed, is not about waiting. In fact, the entire month is the most recognizable month in our entire calendar. The month of December is an endless celebration. Festivities, office parties, gatherings, presents exchanged all through the month of December. Inane Christmas music on the radio. That word means stupid. Just dumb, festive celebrations all around us for an entire month. But for God's people, this season is actually not about celebration. It's about waiting. Waiting for a coming. Advent is for training our souls. Our souls that have been choked out by our culture. 
It's about shaping our souls around the coming of Christ. For our Advent season here, we, here at Trinity, we have been looking at four songs in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke opens with four songs sung by unique voices. Four unique voices. First, Mary's Magnificat. You have a peasant girl in obscurity who submits herself to God's will. Then we have Zechariah's Benedictus, the aged priest and his barren wife, who after years of faithful service and unanswered prayer have given up hope for a child, only then to be surprised by the perfect timing of God. Then we have Gloria, the heavenly army of angels who declare the greatest news the world has ever heard from the heavens. But who do they tell this news to? But shepherds in the field, the most unlikely of audiences for the greatest news. And then we concluded last week by looking at Simeon. The song of Simeon, the faithful servant of God who had been chosen by God for one task. And what was that task? To wait. To wait. These songs in Luke represent the culmination of the expectations of God's people. They are meant, these four songs are meant to be taken together. Not separated, but taken together as four notes forming a chord, a harmony, a song of salvation. These songs voice the longings and prayers of the Old Testament people. And they express the joy, the joy of God's people in these promises being fulfilled. The coming of the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, has come and God has fulfilled his promises. Can you imagine the joy of these four songs? You see, because we fill up our lives with celebration, constant, continual celebration, because of that, we don't hear the notes of rejoicing very clearly. In fact, we, we think we like celebration, and we think we know a lot about celebration, but because we celebrate so much, true celebration is lost on us. It wasn't lost on these people. They had waited. They had longed for God to fulfill his promises. And God had fulfilled his promises. And so these, these songs are songs of inexpressible joy as God has delivered on his promises. And by the way, joy always comes. True joy always comes after the waiting. 
These songs then are a bridge for us, connecting the two eras of God's plan of redemption. A link for us between the people of God today and the ones who have gone before us. They're the songs of Old Testament expectation bursting forth into New Testament fulfillment. They're the songs of Old Testament saints who are no longer having to wait for the promises of God. But these two are the songs of New Testament saints who have benefited from those same promises. These songs then, here's what I'm saying. These songs that we've looked at for the last four weeks, they are songs of the Old Testament, but they are also songs of the New Testament. These songs join us together as God's people. They identify us together. These songs are our songs today. They belong in our mouths. Remember very quickly each song. Mary's song, the Magnificat. Why is it called that? Because she says, my soul, we just sang this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Can we say that today? Can we sing that today? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why does she magnify the Lord and her soul, because God has kept his promise to Israel. He is saving those who have trusted in his word, who have maintained an obedient fear of him, have had and held him in his proper place. Those who are of humble and low estate, she says, are being saved. Those that are forgotten and oppressed and under the mighty and proud and rich of this world. You see, Mary's song, Remember this, Mary's song is the song of the great reversal of salvation. You see, the world, the world has it all wrong. Did you know that? This morning, the world has it all wrong. What the world values and what the world measures as success and completeness is wrong. Mary tells us that. God's people know that the world doesn't understand. Mary's song pictures salvation as a great reversal. God's economy wins in the coming of Jesus. And the world is once and for all turned upside down. This song makes us stop and and think for a moment, what is it that we're living for? What is it that we are seeking joy in? What do we esteem highly? What do we value highly? What do we see as important? God's king, God's king and God's people are not valued highly by this world. God's king and God's people are not thought much of in this world. But they God's king and God's people will be standing on top when all is said and done. We must remember that. Zechariah's song, known as the Benedictus, because he blesses 
God. Why does he bless or praise God? Because in the coming of the king, God has visited his people. Zechariah's song sings of the great redemption. Mary's song is the great reversal of salvation. Zechariah's song is the great redemption of salvation. God has come and by his mighty hand, he has delivered his people from their enemies, from darkness and from death, and led them in the path of peace to serve God in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. And now this this is the hope of God's people. Did you know what God's people hope for? They hope for the coming of the king, yes, but why? Because in the coming of the king, they are redeemed from darkness, from death, from their enemies. They are redeemed. And, and what are they redeemed to? They're redeemed from the darkness and death, from their enemies, but they are redeemed to service of God, service to God in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. Why has God saved us? So that we can serve him. So that we can be obedient servants. And this is what we want, isn't it? We want to serve God. This is the aim of our salvation. Not only to be spared from punishment, but to be freed to serve God. I fear that many of us fall into this thinking that the main point of the good news, the good news of Christ's death, and of his resurrection, and of his ascension, the good news of salvation that he has bought by his own blood, the redemption that he has secured. I'm concerned that for many of us, the main point of that redemptive act of Christ, of our redemption, the main point is so we can be saved from hell. Friend, that is not the main point of the good news. The main point of the good news is that because our sins are forgiven, we can now serve God in the way that we were created to serve God. That is the aim of salvation. Not only to be spared from punishment, but to be freed so that we can serve the living God. And this is what we were made for. Did you know that is what you and I were made for? This is the definition of eternal life. To know the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is life eternal. The next song, an angelic host, gives us a short but profound Song, what it lacks in length that more than makes up for in scope. Here is the totality of their song Glory to God in the highest, and on, per- on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This host is nothing less than an angelic army, countless in number, terrifying. But their message sings of a great reconciliation. Mary's song is the great reversal. Zechariah's song is the great redemption. And here the angels tell the shepherds of the great reconciliation taking place between heaven and earth. 
God is glorified in the heavens, and man can know peace once again. But, but unlike what many of our translations say, we learned, this peace is given only to those with whom he has given his divine favor. God has identified a people that he is bringing peace to. This, this passage has caused many to stumble. He is not bringing peace to everyone in the earth. He's not bringing peace to everyone upon the globe. And this tension, this tension has been noted. Famous poem my children are actually memorizing right now concludes this way. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You ever felt that way? As you look upon the earth, we celebrate Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Where is the peace? Where is it? We don't see peace. Where is the peace today for mankind? Do you know where the peace is that God has brought upon his earth? Do you know where the peace exists? Get this. It exists in his people. He has brought peace to those with whom he is pleased, with those whom he has shown divine favor. He has brought us peace. Do you know why it's important for us to be unified together as God's people? Because we are living out the peace that he has brought. We are the message to the world that God has brought peace, that mankind can live in love to one another. We are that testimony to the salvation that God has brought peace on earth with those or amongst those with whom he is pleased. We must pursue unity, peace together for he has reconciled us to God. He has made us right with God and we should live reconciled with one another. And then the last note of this four-part harmony is given to us by Simeon, the faithful servant of God who had been given his one assignment to wait for the coming of the king. He was told that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And one day in the temple by the Spirit, he was led there and he saw baby Jesus, in the arms of Mary, he took Jesus from his mother and held him in his own arms. And he says, Lord, now, now your servant can depart in peace for I have seen your salvation. And this is Simeon's message. Salvation has been revealed. The great revelation of salvation is given to Simeon. Mary tells us that in salvation there will be a great reversal. Zechariah 
tells us that salvation has accomplished a great redemption. The angels proclaim, as a mighty host, they proclaim that salvation has accomplished a great reconciliation between heaven and earth. And Simeon, Simeon reveals to us who this salvation is. It is God's King, Jesus, the Christ. Now, if you've been paying attention, I haven't read anything from the Bible. And so we should not depart until we've read something from the Bible. I'd like to take you to 1 Peter, really as conclusion this morning. 1 Peter, I'd like to read for you another song. A very important song that 1 Peter gives us, starting in verse 3. And if you're visiting with us, I tend to get a little excited when the Bible gets excited. If the Bible's excited, we should also be excited. Nothing drives me crazier than reading something like 1 Peter in monotone voice because Peter's not writing it in monotone, okay? Look at it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is a song of praise, of blessing to God. That's what it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you so excited, Peter? Why are you singing, Peter? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, not able to be perishing, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are, by be, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, verse 6, what does it say? In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I said a moment ago, that joy always comes after the waiting. Uh, Peter says, no, no. We have joy 
in the waiting. You see what he says there? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why? Why? Can we have joy because he has given us, he has granted us a great salvation. He has redeemed us. He has reconciled us. He is keeping us in this great salvation. I could not keep myself, but he is keeping me. He is securing this salvation for me. And he is taking me all the way to the end. By his power, by his might. And this salvation, the salvation that these Old Testament saints sung about in these four songs, this salvation that was revealed in the coming of Jesus, this salvation is being worked in us, being completed in us, being secured for us, and we are being taken all the way until we see the revelation of Jesus Christ again, his coming again. And that's what we celebrate today. He has come, and he is coming again. We wait today. We wait for him. We wait for the king to come. We sing the songs that those who've gone before us have sung with joy. And we wait today for his second coming with joy Waiting is not easy, but this is what we are called to do. Verse 10, concerning this salvation. Look at this, concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Concerning this salvation, what salvation? The salvation that we have heard sung over the last four weeks. That salvation that the prophets in the Old Testament realized was going to be revealed to a future generation. This salvation which angels long to look into and long to understand, this salvation you have been given. And you are enjoying even now and you are secured in if you know Christ by faith. And he will complete this salvation in his coming. Joy to the world. We sang that. Did you know? You probably already know this because you're all very smart people. Joy to the world is not a Christmas song. Did you know that? It's not a Christmas song. It's a song about the second coming. Listen again to the words, and I'm finished. Listen to the words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. 
The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and flood, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. This is his second coming. And this is what we wait for, his salvation to be complete in us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a privilege and a joy to wait with you together as we wait for his coming and celebrate today the salvation that he's given us in his son, in his king. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us clear promises. We can cling to your promises as your people waiting, waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. Keep us, Lord, from this culture that trains us to be fulfilled and gratified instantaneously. Protect us from that culture and cultivate in us an endurance and a patience and a waiting, a clinging to your promises. We rejoice in our salvation, the salvation that the Old Testament saints heard about wrote about, spoke about, but they never saw. We rejoice in the salvation that you did reveal to these unique voices in the book of Luke. These songs that have proclaimed to us the coming of the King. And we rejoice in the salvation that you are keeping for us even now. Completing in us even now as we wait for the second coming of your Son. And I pray once again for those who do not know Christ as Lord, as King, as Savior. I pray that they would see today their need for Him, that He has accomplished a reversal, a redemption, a reconciliation, and that He has been revealed as your salvation for mankind, and they would put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone and what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection as their only way of salvation so that they then too can join with us as we serve you, God, waiting for the coming of the King. We pray this in your name. Amen.